our study of 1 Peter. And we're in a section of 1 Peter, of uh, a section where there are several difficult passages. Uh, we started into this journey of uh, uh, this difficult section where Paul said, is teaching these Christians how to live as as Christians in a pagan society. No easy thing, and I think we can relate in some ways. And then there was this section just a couple weeks ago where we looked at what does it look like to be a Christian submitting to civil authority, to the civil authority. What does that look like? That's no easy task either. Uh, particularly when the civil government doesn't seem to be going the way you think it should go. How do we as Christians submit under that authority? And we came with some application there. And that, a couple weeks ago, if you remember too, I showed you this really big, fat, thick book. And it was a book put together by many Bible scholars trying to explain many of the difficult passages in the Bible. Because the Bible's not always clear, not for modern ears. And often it can be offensive or very confusing. And these passages, this section of 1 Peter, is where some of that difficulty lays when I, in, in our study of the Scriptures. Particularly next week, you're going to see, where Peter has something to say to wives and husbands. No easy passage. But today we're in one of those not-so-easy passages. And so we're going to step into it like we do every week. But I think we'll find there's actually some application uh, that we may not have expected by the time we get to the end. So, here we go. We're going to step into 1 Peter chapter 2. We pick up with verse 18. Now, I'm using the English Standard Version. Uh, I go b- between the New International Version and the English Standard Version. Sometimes we'll pick up the New Living Translation, depending on how that translation uh, communicates the sense, the meaning of the text. And the English Standard Version here really gets at the heart of what is in the Greek, the original language. And it's very important for us to see that, the way this passage is put together. So that's why I'm using uh, the English Standard Version this week. 1 Peter chapter 2, start with verse 18. Here we go. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Can you see how that might be a difficult passage? So right off the bat, I think you're seeing maybe what I'm seeing. So this is a passage about servants and masters. Now other translations will translate that word servant, slave. Some will translate it household slaves. Now when you and I think about Slaves, I bet your mind goes where my mind goes. Immediately, I'm back in the 1800s in the Deep South. I'm somewhere in Mississippi or Alabama thinking about people with dark skin shackled in slavery on a plantation. Immediately, that's where my mind goes when I hear the word slave. But slavery in the ancient world is much more complex than 19th century chattel slavery, chain slavery of the Deep South. We need to understand that. So what I want to do is I want to read at length from a commentary, uh, a a biblical scholar that's talking about this passage. Now, I typically don't quote at length. I haven't even put this on the screen. 
Uh, the reason is, is because I want you to just hear it. And I want you to get the sense of what this scholar is saying. But I think you and I are going to come to an understanding of the nuance and how actually we actually can relate to this passage more than we might think. So here we go. Uh, Wayne Grudem, the New Testament scholar, writing this commentary on 1 Peter, says this. The horrible degradation of slaves in 19th century America gives the word slave a far worse connotation than is accurate for most of the society to which Peter was writing. Most persons in slavery were treated well. They had been born in the house of their owner, and they had been trained to perform important domestic, industrial, and business or public tasks. Although mistreatment of slaves could occur then too, it must, not, it must be remembered that first century slaves were generally well treated and were not only unskilled laborers, but often managers, overseers, and trained members of the various professions, like doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, skilled artisans. There was, there was extensive Roman legislation regulating the treatment of slaves. They were normally paid for their services and could expect eventually to purchase their freedom. Nevertheless, their service was involuntary. So a word stronger than servant, but weaker than slave is needed. Something meaning semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom. Although servant comes the closest, listen, no English word is adequate. Perhaps because no comparable institution exists in modern Western society. We just don't have we just don't have anything equal to what, what slavery was in ancient world. We don't have any institution like that in our current modern context. He goes on a few more sentences. Therefore, even though there's no exact parallel to such servant status in modern society, the fact that this was by far the most common kind of employee-employer relationship in the ancient world. So when you think of an employee and an employer, that relationship, it was most often in the context of this servant, what we might say servant, and a master. It comes closer to our employee-employer relationship than it would the owner of the plantation and a slave in, in southern, southern Mississippi or Alabama in the 1800s. Okay? He finishes with this. In fact, the word employee does reflect the economic status and skill level of these ancient slaves better than do either of the words servant or slave today. It's very important for us to understand. Because when we read this passage, we say, how in the world, how dare Peter tell a slave, again, we think eight, early 1800s, Alabama slave on a big plantation, how dare Peter tell that slave that he must do everything the Master says. That, that's, that might be hard for us to grasp. What, now, now, what we need to understand is, is the context for the word servant comes closer to what we might call a servant employee. Now, in Roanoke Rapids, and I'm just going to, I'm playing around with this, so don't take this as gospel or hard and, you know, this is a hard and stone truth, but I wonder, in the 1950s and 60s, if a mill worker might come as close to this, what we're talking about. Because as I understand it, in, the, in a mill town, 
your house, your doctors, everything is tied to the mill. And yet, you also had some freedom, but you didn't have total freedom. If you break from the mill, you break from your, your ecosystem of support. Again, I'm just playing with that. that. But that may be something comparable. Point is, is that the employer-employee relationship is the closest thing we have in our society, our modern Western society. And so we need not get hung up on the word servant or slave and immediately take what we understand of that from our American context and throw it back on the ancient world. That would be what we call an anachronism. It would not be an accurate way of understanding what Peter's saying. But, but we can understand, I think, some of what's happening. Have you ever been an employee? Well, then you probably have some sense of what, what's happening, what these Christians were dealing with. And what does he tell these Christians? What does he tell these Christians as servant employees? Many of them would have been servant employees in the house of a master. What does he tell them? Take a look. Let's just remember what he tells them. Right off the bat, he says, be subject. Just leave that slide up. Be subject. Now, other translations say to submit or to respect. You might think, well, that just, that just seems to get right to the heart of it. Well, this is exactly what Peter said a few verses earlier when he said that Christians are to submit or be subject to every institution of human authority. Guess what? Civil government is one of those human institutions. So this is falling right in line with what Peter says before about civil government. What this means is don't disdain the authority of the person who is over you. You don't run around disrespecting your boss. doesn't mean you may not have a problem with your boss. But you don't go around disrespecting their authority. You don't go around gossiping. You don't go around trying to cut their knees out from under them. There are certain protocols on how to handle a particular situation. But you don't disdain their authority. And the key here, and man, we don't like this. I get it. It's because God has set up the authorities on this earth. Now, we don't like that because we don't always like the authorities God sets up on this earth. We'd rather, we, we would rather it be that we choose the people that are in authority, and it's always our decision. If that was the case, we may not have the president we currently have. And for those of you that, don't, that do like this president, you wouldn't have had the one that came before if it was always up to you. But it all, this all comes down to even your boss. That's a tough one. Easy to talk about the president. We can at least deal with that. That's a little distant. But to talk about our bosses. This is the, Peter sees all authority established by God, even when you don't like it. Now, this is really easy when you have a good boss, right? When you have a good boss, this is really easy to respect your boss. Who doesn't want to follow and respect a good boss? You know where it becomes difficult? Those bad ones. But this is the tough part of this passage. It's not just the good ones. It's that second part in red. Also to the unjust. Now the word in Greek for unjust is actually where we get the word scoliosis. It actually means crooked. Like when you have a crooked spine. It's crooked. So this isn't just like they're an incompetent boss. Like you have a boss that's supposed to know math and they don't know 2 plus 2 equals you know, 4. That, this, isn't, this isn't an incompetent boss. This is an immoral boss. This is a shady boss. A crooked boss. And what Peter says is, you Christians that have even, un, I mean, even have crooked, immoral bosses, you have to find a way how to submit to their authority if you stay under their authority. Now, that is very difficult. 
Because you know what happens when you sit under an immoral boss? You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. And what does Peter say about suffering? Here's what he says. Take, take, take a look. Let's remember what he says next. He tells them to endure sorrow. You're not enduring sorrow under a good boss, but under a bad one, you sure are going to endure sorrow. Now, what, what a lot of what, what often I see Christians doing uh, when they read First Peter is they immediately think persecution, being uh, Christians being beheaded or beat uh, by the civil authorities. Peter's not talking about here in this in this section of enduring sorrows. He's not talking about getting beat up by your bad boss. Actually, the word there uh, is actually communicating a different kind of suffering. It's actually a suffering of, of the mental order. That is, this is a psychological, this is a mental struggle. Now, take a look at what uh, one commentator says about the way that Peter writes that in the Greek. He says this, the term, the term for sorrow, that we are to endure sorrow, the term is used of mental pain. But never in the New Testament is the noun. That same noun, sorrow, never is the noun or the verb used of physical pain itself. Peter's emphasis is on enduring various kinds of mental anguish which accompany unjust suffering. I think we can relate to this. I think all of us can relate to an unjust or a crooked boss who we have, who we have suffered under. And so I, why I want to bring this point out is because I want us to understand these Christians, these Christians weren't always just getting beat up. It wasn't like they were having their bones broken. They were suffering like you suffer. What does it feel like to go to work for a bad boss? That is what they struggled with too. I mean, these, these were human beings who had mental anguish. They struggled. And like you, they wondered, how do I do this? How do I get up and go to work the next day? Well, it's not just a matter of enduring. And this is very, very important. It wasn't just a matter of enduring. Like, like if you endure a lot, you're just a really godly person. It's just a matter of having lots of endurance. Because anybody can have lots of endurance, I guess. You know, there's something that the Christian brings that makes all the difference. It's that next part in the verse. Take a look. We're going to highlight it here. It's when you endure while being mindful of God. It is very hard to go to work day in and day out for a crooked boss when you have no hope. But the Christian is called to submit to the authority as long as you're under it. And here we have a bit of we have a bit more freedom in our modern context often where we can actually get out from under a bad boss. But sometimes you can't. And a lot of people around the country and the world, they can't get out from under crooked bosses. And so what do you do as a Christian when you have to live under that? Well, you don't disdain their authority. You don't cut them at the knees through gossip and backroom back, uh, you know, back uh, conversations. What you do is you respect their authority because you are a Christ follower and you are mindful of God. And by being mindful of God, you know this one big fact. In the end, justice is coming. So you suffer, but you know God will make all suffering right. Now, that's really hard when you wake up at 6 a.m. and you've got to go into work and you've got to deal with that crooked boss. I get that. But being mindful of God trains us with the understanding that literally God will make it all right. But that's not in your hands. That's in God's hands. That's the tough part. 
to golly. And listen, I know what it's like to be in this situation too. I've worked under some really bad bosses. And I have not always handled that well. And I have disrespected. Now I still wonder, could I have done it this way? Holy Spirit, I'm going to need you to keep making me more like Jesus. Because my tendency is to do the backdoor conversation, the backroom conversations and try to cut the boss at his knees and get back at him. Because I want justice and I want to make sure that it's my way. It's justice my way. But here's what this one scholar says that I think is so helpful. This mindful of God, check this out. Here's what he says. It is the confidence that God will ultimately right all wrongs, which enables a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment, rebelliousness, oof, this next one, self-pity, or despair. It means as Christ followers, we walk into our suffering, we hold our heads high, and we keep going until God takes us out of that situation and opens another door. But as long as He has us there, we will be respectful. And we will still love, and we will not be rebellious. Now, if you find this to be very outrageous, it sure is. But this following Jesus thing is a bit outrageous. Now, if we stopped here, we could leave it. We could could leave the sermon here. But this is not where the passage ends. Peter doesn't just lay this teaching in verse 18 through 20. He just doesn't lay it there and leave and move on to another subject. He brings in one more really important thing for every Christian. Check it out. Verse 21. We'll We'll read verse 21 through 25. Here's the kicker. Here's where he brings it home. Takes it to the end zone. Puts the ball over the fence. Puts the ball in the goal. Sorry, I just thought how how much longer I could go with that. All right, here we go. Verse 21. For, For, because of everything I just said, for to this you have been called. You have been called to this. For you have been called. Why have you been called? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why are you and I called to suffer even under a bad boss? Because Jesus Himself suffered unjustly and you're called to follow His example. Are you better than Jesus? Just a few things I notice in this passage. We'll go with two and then we'll go with the, the, the big bomb at the end. Two things here. First one is this. In his suffering, Christ consistently trusted his Father in heaven. He consistently trusted himself to his Father. Check it out. Just going back into the passage in red, he said, Peter says that he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Remember what it is about being mindful of God. When you're mindful of God, you know that God is going to bring everything to justice. Everything will be made right. Because God will judge everything accordingly. And what did Jesus do? How in the world was he allowed? Did he um, was he able to suffer un, unjust treatment? Because he consistently kept going 
back in his mind, trusting that his father would make sure everything was just his way. He never forgot the fact, even as he suffered, he never forgot, I will endure this suffering because I know the day's coming when God will make everything right. And he did. And the father will. And all enemies will be put under the feet of Christ. That, so if he entrusted himself, the one who was perfect suffered unjustly by entrusting himself to God, who he knew is going to make sure everything's right, then that's how you get up at 6 a.m. and you go in with a bad boss. Now, God's not going to probably make it right in January. It may go three, four more years. Now, if you don't have an opportunity to get out from under that boss, then you continue to walk in the suffering. Now, if there are avenues, if there are avenues in your organization where you can bring a complaint or there is abuse, you bring those. This isn't, this isn't a matter of letting go of any right you have. Even Paul, even Paul uh, uh, appealed to his Roman citizenship to get a trial. So this isn't a matter of just letting go of all your rights. But if you have no other recourse, you do not become rebellious. You respect the authority because God put you there, put that authority there. And you suffer unjustly because you remember, just like Christ did, that God will judge justly. And so every day you go into work, guess what? That's practicing your trust. You keep your mind on God, not your, the unjust suffering. You see where the mind is? It's on the God who will take care of you. There's a second thing I see in the passage. Christ suffered unjustly. This is just bare bones. We follow in his steps. Just remember, I just want to just pull up this part of the passage again. He's leaving you an example so that you may follow his steps. in his steps. He committed no sin. And what happened to him? He suffered. They reviled him. They spit insults at him. This is the man, this is the man God in flesh, who could have brought down every angel in heaven to destroy every one of those soldiers that slapped him in the face and mocked him. And what did he do? He let himself be mocked. If there was anyone in the world that had the right to destroy somebody, it was Christ in that moment. And what did he do? He let the suffering happen. Because he knew God would take care of things. That's our example. That's our example. Now that does not mean that if someone comes in my home and tries to hurt my family that I just say, have your pick. That's not what we're talking about here. But when you're talking about me, and you're talking about me in a work environment where I am suffering wrong and I have no opportunity to get out, I don't just start blowing up the place. I suffer because my Savior suffered. And just in case we forget what Jesus Himself said. In John 15, He told this to His disciples. He said this, John 15, 8 through 20. Uh, we'll read it in the New International Version this time. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, well, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So if Christ himself suffers unjustly and does not retaliate with vengeance or rebelliousness or self-pity, but for some reason I think I can, do you see where the equation goes wrong? So Christ, who had every right, did not respond in rebelliousness, self-pity, rebellion, 
And yet, for some reason, I think it's my role to make sure that bad boss gets what's coming to him or her. No. We suffer with respect. This is a tough one. This is why this is a difficult passage. But am I, am, do I have more right and am I stronger than Christ himself? No. This is like a check on who you are and who I am. I'm not God. And that's a good reminder. But man, it's a tough one. Because when you suffer under a bad boss, everything in you says, I'll get back at them. They're going to get theirs and I'll make sure of it. You're not God. You didn't put that authority there and therefore you respect it because God put it there. Who are you to get vengeance? Even Christ himself suffered unjustly. All right, so that, that right there is the two big things I see in the passage, but there's this bomb sitting out there. Just in case, just in case we get a little high on our horse as we suffer, never, ever forget this. And I'll repeat that as we read this. Here it is. Never forget he suffered because of our sins. So as we, as we are united with Christ in union with Him, and as we follow His example, never forget that you were the bad boss. I was the bad boss. I'm the crooked boss. I'm the one who rebelled. I'm the one who was broken on the inside. I'm the one who has rebelled. It is my sins that He bore. I'm the one that caused his unjust suffering, and it is only because of his love he took it on willingly and suffered unjustly. The unjust part is your sin and mine. So as we get so high on our horse and think, that unjust boss, he's going to get his, aren't you glad that in Christ you didn't get yours? It's almost like when Jesus says he prays, Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. Oh, as Paul says, man, I wish I would have thrown this scripture up, but we'll just we'll go with it. In Colossians three, I think it's around verse twelve, he says, "Forgive, even as Christ forgave you." You see, and just so we remember, I just want to highlight it here in the passage. Go to that next slide. He bore our sins. Paul's very, Peter's very clear about this. And just in case we just, we just needed to, just in case we were forgetting where these passages are, just two, just two, go to the next slide. We'll take two on one slide. Romans 5, 8. God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, while you still had scoliosis, you know, not literally, figuratively, while you were still a crooked boss, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad He didn't come with all His vengeance like you and I want to bring when we have a bad boss? I am. And in 2 Corinthians 5.12, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only did He forgive you, He gave you His righteousness. That's all in the passage. So why in the world do we move with respect even with a bad boss? Why did Peter call these Christians suffering under very crooked masters. Why did he call them to be subject to them? Because God put them in authority and Christ himself suffered unjustly. Therefore, we followed his example. And actually, it is more important to follow the way of Christ than to, than to get justice in this life. All right.
Let me make some applications. We'll walk through this somewhat quick. I want to be like really clear about this point. Because in our world, this could be construed as letting bad people hurt good people. Report abusive or illegal activity in your workplace. Like if you, if, if there is abuse in the workplace or some type of illegal activity, there should, it, particularly in our world, there's a channel for reporting it. If there's not, particularly if it's illegal, you have a channel in our law enforcement. But what I'm saying is this is not a cover for bad bosses to abuse or do illegal activities. I just want to be very clear. Is it, there is no, no human beings allowed to take this passage and say, you've got to suffer because you have to respect me, so you've got to take all the abuse. No, there's a, this, isn't, this isn't like a blank check for bad behavior. But there are plenty of work environments where a crooked boss doesn't do anything illegal and doesn't step over the abusive line, but they're really bad people and they, it really stinks to work for them. There are other English words we could use to describe those work environments. But I'm a preacher and I'm in church. But you get the point. But when it crosses the line, report that. Just, I don't, this isn't blank checks for that kind of behavior. All right. Go on the next one here. There is something worse. Oh, this, is, this is maybe my favorite application because it's the hardest for me. There is something worse than enduring suffering. And that is losing sight of God and His justice. The moment you try to be God and make sure your boss gets what's coming to him or her, and you start playing God you're actually in much more danger than any of the suffering you've been experiencing in the workplace. Because guess what you guess what's coming in 60 years for most of you? Maybe 80. Eternity. And eternity is going to be a lot longer than any suffering we have here. And if you let go of the most important things, that's actually much worse than suffering unjustly. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. You know this is one of my favorite passages, but I feel like we've got to bring it out. Here it is, 2 Corinthians 4, 6-17. Now, put in perspective what I just said. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, this is why we never give up, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. When you and I recognize we are not God and we have faith in Christ, we have saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, when we do that, we have eternity of pleasure and happiness. But the moment we start acting like God, thinking we can control everything, we're in danger of losing the salvation so great given to us. The point here is, there is something worse than suffering unjustly, and that is losing sight of eternity. Do not lose sight of eternity, and do not play God. That is actually much worse than any suffering you might go through, because that has an impact for a long, 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 long time. All right, third thing. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day we need to realize, I'm the crooked boss. Like every day, I'm going. If I wake up at 6 a.m. and I walk into work and I got a really bad boss, I have started that day though remembering I was the bad boss before he or she ever was. 
have to preach that to us every day. The cross alone stays in front of our eyes. Because the moment you and I forget that He bore our sin, we start thinking we might be God and we actually deserve to be saved. No, it's unmerited salvation. And He gives it to us freely. He calls us and gives us salvation. He gives us Christ's righteousness. But don't think that you deserve it. You and I are the crooked one. And therefore, we remember that every day. All right, here's the next step. That's a lot of application. Hopefully something hits you. Here it is. Pray each day that God would help you learn James 1, 2-4. Now the reason I picked James 1 is because that's a passage about suffering and going through trials. And I figure if you're going through any trial, right now this is in the context of the workplace, but I'm just saying any trial, it would be a good thing to pray, God, teach me. Teach me how to live in James 1. And I'm telling you, I haven't figured this one out yet fully. I don't think I am. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm going to figure this one completely out. Thank you that I am saved by grace. Because if it was a matter of trying, my, I'd be in big trouble. All right. Here's the prayer. I'm going to just suggest this is our prayer. I'm actually, this is the closing prayer. So like when I go, let's pray, this is the let's pray. And then we'll go right into our response time. So here's our prayer. Father, would you help us as students of Jesus to consider our trials, especially in the workplace, pure joy. Because they are, test, they are the testing of our faith, which will produce perseverance. And that, persever- that perseverance will lead us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Help us. In your Son's name, who suffered unjustly on our behalf for our sins, we pray. Amen.